0: This is the Talk of Fame Network, featuring Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges from the Boston Herald, Rick Goslin of the Dallas Morning News, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. And now, let the debates begin. Who is a Hall of Famer? Will they be enshrined in Canton? Do they have the numbers to get in? Let the experts who make the decision tell you who will be signing their name with HOF next to it. And now, it's the Talk of Fame Network.
1: Welcome to another week of the Talk of Fame, only it's really not another week. It's an extraordinary week with a guest list that includes Hall of Fame great Joe Montana, one of Joe's favorite targets, former wide receiver Dwight Clark, a look at contributor candidate Eddie DeBartolo, the owner who employed Joe and Dwight, as well as a handicapper's guide to the preliminary class of 2016, which was announced last week. We're also going to talk about how Dallas, yes, Goose's Dallas Cowboys survive, or if they can survive, the last quarterback, Tony Romo. Your why former tight end Mark Bavaro should be in the hall and get the lowdown from author and Hall of Fame voter Gary Myers on his Brady versus Manning book, which was released earlier this week. But first, yeah, first it's former Fortnite's owner Eddie DeBartolo and his chances of making the hall in 2016. As you know, he was nominated by a subcommittee the Hall's contributor committee, a five-person panel, actually that Goose and I were part of. We met in Kent last month. And, Rick, I want you, if you can, first, to just tell listeners what makes a contributor and what Eddie DeBartolo faces next.
2: Okay, if you're not a player and not a coach, you are a contributor in the eyes of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That would be owner, commissioner, general manager, referee, scout, trainer, ticket taker. This is where you fit in. Now, our committee uh, was allowed to nominate one candidate in 2015, and Eddie DeBartolo becomes that stand own candidate. He's not in competition with any players for Boston Canton. It's either thumbs up, and you're in, or thumbs down, and you're not. There are 46 members of the selection committee, and a candidate needs at least 38 votes to get tried.
1: Well, as you know, the contributor committee is is new. I mean, we started it last year for the first time, and we merged with two of the best talent scouts in the game, and Ron Wolf and Bill Pauline, both of whom have been on the show and are in the Hall of Fame. And Ron, I know we agree that probably uh, their selection would send the committee in a different direction. It did. Uh, much to the displeasure of guys like uh, our supporters, of Bobby Bathory, Gil Brad, Bucko Gilroy. So as someone who wasn't part of the process, A, were you surprised with the Barlow choice? And B, how would you assess his chances?
3: Uh, I was not. I knew he had strong backing, both on the committee uh, in the room and in, in the on the larger group of voters, actually. I was more surprised than somewhat elated, frankly, by the strong showing of my friend Bucko Gilroy. Uh, who's as qualified as anyone on the list. He didn't make it, but uh, I thought that was a good sign for him. And, you know, as for Eddie D, uh, I think it takes eight votes to block a guy. Uh, so with the baggage he'll be, uh, he'll be bringing to San Francisco, I think it's a bit of an uphill climb. Uh, you know, he had the salary cap penalties for cheating on the cap. He lost control of the team. And ultimately was banned from the league for bribing a governor in, in Louisiana, uh, although, to be fair, uh, that's how they do business in Louisiana. So, you know, you do business the way it's done. And, but those things clearly impacted his NFL career uh, severely and adversely. I think it's yet to be determined how much impact he actually had on the large league as well, beyond as many players have pointed out to us. Uh, they do believe that he uh, impacted positively how other teams treated their players and post things like travel and all that. Uh, on the upside, he's popular. Uh, he's one of the most successful franchises in history. And I think he'll get some uh, quote-unquote sympathy votes uh, being, with the Super Bowl being in San Francisco this year. But uh, I still think he, he's got a bit of an uphill uh, run to make it.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that about uh, the game being in San Francisco because, Goose, if you want to make an uphill climb or you have an uphill climb, what better place than San Francisco? And I know there's a feeling, as Ron just mentioned, that there's something very right about having him proposed when the Super Bowl is there or in Santa Clara where the Fortnite's headquarters is. Are, are you one of those... Who Likes the timing, and could that timing swing some fence hitters?
2: Well, it's certainly great timing for this particular candidate, you know, but it doesn't always work out the way you'd like to. Now, I, I remember Michael Irvin anticipating getting a Hall of Fame not in his hometown of Miami, and Tim Brown, he talked about it, anticipated getting the Hall of Fame not in his hometown of Dallas. It didn't work out either way um, for those guys, and, and believe me, the Bartolos candidacy this year in San Francisco was more luck than by design. That said, I agree with Ron. There's a lot on the other side of the ledger that needs to be discussed, and I think it'll be an uphill fight.
1: Well, that's one thing I want to ask both of you guys. He seems to be a polarizing figure. People either love him or they hate him. We have two guys coming up, Joe Montana and Dwight Clark, who love him for good reason. Why are people so emotional about Eddie Debartolo, especially after so many years?
2: He won. Why well, did folks hate Belichick, Brady, and the Patriots, they win. Debartolo, Belichick, Brady have a couple cases full of Super Bowl trophies. That makes folks a bit envious, a bit jealous, and a bit peeved that it's not their team benefiting from DeBartle's ownership, Belichick's coaching, Brady's quarterbacking.
3: Well, I would only say as an aside, Goose, that they hated Belichick in Cleveland when they weren't winning, so he's got it down to the <laughs> science. But, uh, uh, you know, as far as Eddie D. goes, I think he is a polarizing guy. You know, some people look at him as a downright cheater. I know there's a number of owners that are not happy that he, that he came out of that committee. There's other guys who say he's just a competitive guy who did a great job, so we'll see how it goes.
1: Speaking of Eddie D., we're going to check in with his most famous player and one of his closest friends, Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Montana, when we return. You'll see to the Talk of Fame Network. The following was recorded at a Burger King drive thru at breakfast.
4: Morning, welcome to Burger King. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese, Chris Sandwich? Sure can. Right now they're two for $4, but could you say that word again? Chris Sandwich? Oh, where I'm from, we say Chris Sandwich.
5: Wow. Where are you from? From behind this counter?
6: Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two breakfast sandwiches for just $4, only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary.
0: And now, a touching moment while staying in touch with GEICO.
7: It was a warm summer day. I was just sitting on a porch watching a babbling brook roll by. Then, out of the blue, I got an update from my GEICO app saying my claim had been processed. I felt so connected to nature, to GEICO. (laughs) I stayed there the whole afternoon until that guy told me to stop trespassing on his porch. Sheesh, what was his problem?
0: Claim status updates just a few taps away on the GEICO app.
8: Hi, Tom Baudet. Apparently it's not enough to go on a weekend jog. Nowadays, so-called fun runs have barbed wire, mud bogs, and flaming hoops. Can poison blow darts be far behind? But Motel 6 is a safe stop in the long or short run. Always a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain book online at motel6.com i'm tom bodette and we'll leave the light on for you ow was that a blow to-
9: call quicken loans now at 800 quicken to see if you qualify for the government's home affordable refinance program or harp and for five years in a row now jd power has ranked quicken loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction and for the second year in a row they've also ranked us Highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800 Quicken or visit QuickenLoans.com.
6: Visit JDPower.com for award information. Call for cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender, lender license in all 50 states. NMS consumer access.org number 3030.
0: Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Goslin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot post with him. Can't do it. I want
10: winners. Our next guest.
1: Needs no introduction. All I'll say is that we've had plenty of great quarterbacks on this program over the past year. Guys like Joe Namath, Lynn Dawson, Dan Fouts, John Elway, and Fran Tarkin. But there is no one, no one better than our next guest, Hall of Famer Joe Montana. Joe, thanks for joining
11: us. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Joe, we've been to talk- it's, nice to- it's great to have you on. It really is. We've been talking about your friend and former team owner, Eddie DeBartle, on this program and his chances for Hall of Fame election this year. I'd like to ask you, if you were to present Eddie to the Hall of Fame's board of selectors and tell them, or us, why he should be in the Hall, what would you say?
11: Well, I don't think there's anyone who's given more on the field and off the field than Mr. Barlow. I think one of the things that he doesn't get enough credit for are the things he does for people, or in, players and ex-players, off the field that he just doesn't talk about and doesn't want people to talk about. That's that's just his nature. When people have gotten injured, he's taking care of these guys long after they've been out of the league. You know, there's no owners that do that. There's no one that does those things. He he enabled an organization when he came on to, to start to change the NFL and the way things were done, how they were accomplished, how we traveled, how we um, how we practiced. And just, he, there's so many intangibles that go along with him and how he treats everyone. And he's as fiery a competitor as any player I've ever been around. And that's part of the reason for the success. They all say it always starts at the top. And it definitely did with him.
2: Joe, what made him different from other owners? There are a lot of rich guys that own teams and take care of their players. What made Eddie different?
11: Well, I, I think there's, he, he knew the fine line between not doing anything, or being too involved. You know, you, you, you bring on the right people in your organization that he felt had the ability to take the team to where it went. And then he just empowered them. You know, I've been with one other owner, and part of that reason when I went there was, was for that organization at the same time, because he was similar to, to Mr. DeBartle. He was on the cutting edge, and allowing Bill Walsh and, his group to, to do the things and sit back and not say, well, this is my team. It's not working out,
10: especially earlier on
11: when we first got there. I mean, we were 2-14. And,
10: and
11: the next year we, you know, we saw a little progress, so he kept his hands off. But yet he demanded, just like Bill did, excellence from everybody, including Bill. And I think that was his biggest, his strongest point was knowing that line and when to cross it and when not. I mean, he would. He was just like a coach, literally. He was one of those kind where we played well. I mean, we didn't play very well, and we won, and he still was mad.
3: <laughs>
11: <laughs> He's just, just like a coach. <laughs>
3: you know, the three of us, we've all been all thank committee for quite a while now, and we've seen what it means to retired players to get into the hall, especially guys that have waited a long time. How meaningful do you think it would be for, for Eddie to be elected, in particular this year with a 50th anniversary in the Super Bowl coming back to San Francisco
11: I wouldn't be surprised if he dropped to his knees
3: <laughs> I'm just
11: telling you he's, he is so he is so excited about the opportunity and everybody that's been around him and knows him are so excited for him um, we think that this is there's no better time there's no better place to do it for him than back here um, within the 50th anniversary and I just think it's, it, it's time to put a lot of things behind us. And, you know, like everything, we have to move forward. And he he just meant so much to the game and so much to uh, the NFL during the, that his ownership time that I don't see anyone more deserving to get in than him. And it's been that way for a while, though, for us out here.
1: We're with all of them. Great. Joe Montana. Joe, speaking moving forward, uh, you left the 49ers in 1993 for Kansas City. And Eddie told us last year that. He cried when that decision was made. Did you?
11: You know, he and I have been, you know, it's hard, sort of like the coach and a player and the owner and the player has a similar relationship, but you know that there's something special going on and it went on from then and continues to this day and that we have a, we have a great relationship. We are friends, close family friends. Um, I see him all the time talk all if we don't see each other we're on the phone together and it was really, really a hard decision. But again, this is goes back to my point where he wanted to trust in the fact, even though he knew we were friends and I shouldn't have been leaving there. He did two things. One, he allowed the coach to make that decision and hope and put his trust in that he was making the right decision. And the other was that he allowed me my freedom to leave the team. Given me the opportunity to continue my to try to, to continue my career on the field, and that was hard. It was hard for both of us, and then I know it was difficult on him because he f- flew out here and we he tried to do everything he could to you know save me from leaving. But you know, a decision was made, and I just didn't think that it was time for me to to sit on the bench yet. And I would rather finish my career on the field. And he respected that.
2: Joe. So how, how disappointed were you that your career didn't begin and end in San Francisco?
11: Well, I think every player starts the starts their career with the thought that um, you'll never leave the team you're on, and you know as as the game changed and salary caps came into play, and you know the, the roster numbers were what they were, were, you know, dwindling. It makes sense; it's going to happen to almost everybody. I mean, there are very few. I mean, today. A little bit easier. Things are moving a little bit differently, but in that stretch of time, there were a lot of great guys. I thought I'd never see Jerry Rice play somewhere else. I mean, <laughs> this is one of the greatest of all times to play his position. No one will ever. I don't see anyone touching his numbers, but yet he left. He had to go somewhere else. And you know, you, you're disappointed, but you make the best of it. You move on. I went to another great place to play football with a great organization and, and great fans. So, did I want to go there? I don't know at in San Francisco, but I'll tell you, when I got there, and we made the best of it, and the fans were tremendous, and very not only the fans, but the players on the team were very accepting all of me coming in at the same time.
3: As you, as you point out, uh, Joe, you're still close to Eddie today. That's an unusual relationship. Most players, after they leave, don't stay that close to, uh, to the owner or vice versa, I guess. How much do you think he misses not being involved? With the 49ers and not being involved more closely with the NFL. It seemed like it was so much a part of his life for such a long period of time.
11: Well, I think there was a point in his life where he tried to get back and I think was turned away or found out that it wasn't going to happen. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, that uh, I think it was probably the most disheartening thing for him and to watch him go through because he really loves the game more than. Just about any player that I, I said I've ever seen, he he had that heart and soul in that fight that he absolutely loved, and and he brought that to every time he showed up with the team. You know, he wasn't one to just sat back there and watch practice and left. He was in the locker room. He was playing around with guys, and but yet there, there still was that line. But just is, yeah. At this point in his life, I can't really tell you because it seems like he's he's at rest with it. But I think. On um, there's another half of me that says, Oh, if you gave him an opportunity, he'd probably jump back in. <laughs> <laughs> like a player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a player. Give us another one more year. Give me one more year.
1: <laughs> We're with Hall of Fame great Joe Montana on the Talk of Fame. And Joe, Eddie has presented five individuals at their inductions in Canton, including, of course, yourself. But Charles Haley, whom he traded away, had him present him this summer, too. Why were people in and around the 49ers so devoted or so indebted to Eddie DiBartolo? So he gave
11: he gave everything he had to you, and it didn't. And it wasn't just he cared about you as a player, but he cared about you as a person. And, and and when things were not going well, or he heard of things that you might be struggling with, he he was the first one there. And that's why you see that love comes around and goes around, and nobody gives up on that. When people believe in you, even though you're struggling, you don't forget that. And the people around here and you know, the players, for sure, you know, will all say the same thing. is he, he gave, not just on the field. And he he gave to you often, much as he he, uh, he, knew and when he could help you. Like I said, he jumped in with both feet.
2: Hey, Joe, I was at the 94 Kansas City-San Francisco game, when that's when you handed the for one of their few losses. That's the first time you played against them. What were your emotions that day, and, and what do you think Eddie's emotions were that day?
11: Well, Eddie's was probably torn. Mine wasn't.
2: <laughs>
11: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to win, but I'm sure Eddie wanted to win too, but I think that there was a little piece of him that, you know,
10: knew that
11: this, this it, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right for any of us, you know, but I had to find a way to get it out of my mind i really had to go on the field and play and you know eddie just had to show up and his team was going to play but i had to mentally i had to prepare myself a little bit differently because it was hard i been playing against guys i i knew for and played side by side with for a number of years so it was a little more difficult on my side but once the game got going and it was just another game but i won but i dang sure i wanted to win did you, did,
2: you, <laughs> did you see eddie before or after the game
11: A little bit on the field, uh, if I remember correctly. But um, after that, we I talked to him, and uh, you know, we were he he got the ultimate prize in the end, so he <laughs> was, wasn't too he couldn't have been uh, uh, too disappointed. But I think if he had to lose one, he didn't mind losing it to uh, to us or to me. Although he hates to lose, so I'm sure he didn't like it in the long
3: run. <laughs> you know, what do you think? Uh, I was watching the. Uh... Game over the weekend there, and I saw those uniforms. And I, you know, I used to be out in Oakland covering the Raiders, so I was used to those uniforms. Yeah. And I readjusted my TV eight or nine times. What do you think of those '49 uniforms? Or what do you think Eddie thinks of those things? It just didn't look right.
11: You know, we didn't did talk about it about the uniforms. We were having too much fun out on the field with all the old guys. And Charles, as you know, Charles, <laughs> he's a blast to be around. And there was no shortage for laughter when he's he was close, but. Uh, Actually, I, th- I always thought that we- they could use uh, a little uni update for the New Times, and I actually liked the black. I just didn't like the they didn't do anything with the helmet. The helmet kind of looked I mean outside of the all black uniform just didn't match me other than that, I didn't mind them. I thought they were all right. Kind of strange to see them in that uniform because I always said, "Well this isn't right. We have throwback." uniforms and you got the Steelers wearing like Bumblebee outfits, <laughs> Green Bay's crazy. And, and we look the same as we did <laughs> way back then. We, we should do something about these.
1: So, Hey, Joe, we're going to break for commercial. Can you stay with us while we go away? Absolutely. See you when you come back. We'll be back with Joe Montana after this. Hey, this is just a reminder. The Talk of Him Network is brought to you by Grasshopper. As an entrepreneur, you're always on the go. So turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a local or toll-free number or bring your own. And if you want to see how it works, log on to grasshopper.com.
10: As an entrepreneur, you're always on the go. So turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a new business number or keep your current one. Sound professional with a main greeting and multiple extensions that forward callers to your mobile phone. You can even get voicemails transcribed. Join over 150,000 small businesses who stay connected with Grasshopper. See how it works at grasshopper.com, the entrepreneur's phone system.
12: Hi, this is Lori Grenier. You've seen me on Shark Tank. I've developed, launched, and marketed over 400 products. Applying for a traditional loan is frustrating. There's paperwork, references, tax forms. You wait weeks for an answer, and you may not get the funds. There's a new way to get funding without the hassle. It's called Cabbage. That's Cabbage with a K. Here's how it works. Go to cabbage.com, fill out the online application. It takes minutes to complete, and you'll get a decision with none of the waiting. You could have immediate access to a line of credit of up to $100,000, no fees of any kind to set up your line, and you don't pay a cent until you take a loan. It's helpful for a business to have security and flexibility. Cabbage is a rated by the Better Business Bureau. It's provided funds to over 50,000 businesses and has been named one of Forbes' top 100 companies twice in a row. So check out Cabbage.com. That's Cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E, or call 888-CABBAGE the number one online provider of small business loans.
13: Baseball fans, be the MVP at Luxor Las Vegas. Get your Lux on at all-star shows, including Fantasy, the strip's sexiest adult review, Chris Angel believe from Cirque du Soleil, and Carrot Top. Hit a home run with Mexican flavors that rock from TNT Tacos and Tequila or cool brews and comfort food at Public House. LAX Nightclub helps you make all the right plays with the hottest dance music from resident DJs and live entertainment in a high-energy atmosphere. To capture the biggest plays of the season, visit Luxor.com.
0: Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and Clark Judge.
1: Well, we're back with Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Montana. And, Joe, when we last spoke, which is the previous segment, I was asking you about Eddie DeBartolo Jr., who's a candidate for the class of 2016 in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'd like to continue that conversation. Hey, Joe. Do you have a Mr. D anecdote you can share with us? Something that would uh, help our listeners understand why it means so much to you and others a
11: favorite story about ADD? Well, I, I'll, I'll give you a pr- perfect example. We were just talking about this yesterday. The things he did to make it, he didn't have to do and have to spend any more money. But we were playing, I can't even remember what year it was, <clears throat> but we had a—we used to fight DC 8. And actually, I think it might have been the Super Bowl year because the plane broke down before our first away trip. And we got a D.C. 10. Now, D.C. 8 a long, skinny thing. People probably don't even remember this thing, but there's not a whole lot of room. And you know, we were the most traveled team in the NFL almost every year because of, you know Atlanta was in our division, New Orleans was in our division. So we were always on the road. And when you come back from the game, everybody's got, guys got IVs, ice packs, everything's trying to lay out cramps, you know, trying to spread out. And while the D.C. 10 was, was uh, a nice, even you know, on the way there, and after the game, we won, and Eddie came in the locker room, he was all excited, and everybody was excited to see him, but the whole locker room started chanting, D.C. 10, D.C. 10. And he couldn't do anything but laugh. And he said, okay, I'll make you, I'll make you a promise. You keep winning, and you can have the D.C. 10. Well, we went undefeated that year on the road, so <laughs> we kept the D.C. 10.
1: <laughs> We're with Joe Montana on the Talk of Fame Network, and Joe, of all the Super Bowls you shared with Eddie, and there were four of them, which is the one you cherish the most, and which was the one you think Eddie cherishes the
14: most? They're also different.
11: To cherish one of them is really hard. Uh, my guess is, uh, you know, it's hard to to differentiate the first one, because uh, it's the first time you get there, and you think you may never get back, but then, then the next one we play at Stanford Stadium, and, you know, we'd be, you know, a pretty good Dolphin team, so, my guess would be one of those two. The other two were, you know, we, uh, we had a symbol. We still, still thinks the 8-14 was the best of all, but uh, the other two had some pretty good both sides of ball teams. And that those two, I think, will probably be my guess that he figures one of them because getting into that first Super Bowl is
3: tough. How do you think those teams would have fared against uh, last year's Super Bowl champions, the, the Patriots? I'm here in New England, and Brady tells me all the time about you know, sitting in the stands and being a friend of yours. And he also tells Ben, how oh, it's going to end if they can get rid of Joe Montana. They, They'll get rid of me eventually. So I said, well, you're right." Uh, but how do you think that you would, you would have fared against them, number one, and, and how would you like to play with today's rules where defense is basically illegal?
11: Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I, I, I'll stack our teams up against anybody. It doesn't matter who it is, and whether it's them or anyone else, Just that, especially in today's age. you I can't even imagine being able to turn Jerry Rice and John Taylor uh, free, going <laughs> down the field, <laughs> and and sitting there being able to think that you're not going to get hit. A lot of times you just knew even after you threw the ball that there's nothing you can do. You, somebody's taking a couple steps and you're getting smacked and then drilled into the ground, and this doesn't happen as much anymore. So it makes it not that it makes it easy because the game's not easy, but certainly there's a little bit less pressure. On the quarterback, but and it's a throwing game. Heck, I'd love to play now. Any any quarterback who wouldn't want to be playing now is crazy. Just look at the numbers they're throwing up.
2: What's the best defense you ever played, Joe? I think
11: consistently the teams with the Giants, you know, they, there were some years, you know, obviously with LT and those guys, that group, and um, there were some some years with uh, with New Orleans, had a pretty good, pretty good defense going. But I would I would say on a consistent basis it's probably a giants.
1: Joe Montana on the talk of Fame networking show. Earlier you said Ronnie said the eighty four team he thinks was the best of those four Super Bowl teams. How about you? Which one do you think was the best?
11: I think weapon wise, I think he thinks defensively he, we had we had a pretty good team in eighty four and the latter the last two offensively we were just we had pretty good teams. I mean we I'm surprised that, you know, we made a few mistakes on our own and we were almost in three in a row, and and uh, again playing the giant defense hadn't <laughs> solved the scores. So uh, um, we had a pretty good defense at that point too. But I think offensively we were a little, a little more potent in those two years.
3: Uh, you know, Joe my, uh, Mike Shanahan says that Jerry Rice was not the best receiver ever. Says he was the best player ever. I'm old, so I'm biased toward Dick Butkus, but the, <laughs> I just what, what 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 do you think uh, when you think of Jerry Rice? Is that the best just football player? That you've been around well, i
11: I just think there's so so many positions require so many different things i mean there are some great great players and it'd be it'd really hard, be hard to stack them up against um, someone <laughs> to say Charles haley <laughs> even <Now they're laughs> completely different areas of expertise and but he was uh, I, I don't see anyone being better than him uh, by far his work ethic is his ability to get behind people, you know, you know, he just his ability to adjust to not only the balls but the defenses, and when you're in trouble.
2: And hey Joe, yeah. what the, what was your what was your take on Deflategate and and the PSI? And could you tell when you pick up a football, it's weight? Well, yeah, you can always
11: tell. You have it in your hand all the time, but it, it's a rule. It's a dumb rule, but it was a rule, and it, it is what it is. It's taken way too long to get through, and it yeah. doesn't make any sense anyway. So. I don't. I don't think it, you know, has that kind of effect on the team. I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> just, the record's not very good. Let's just
3: put it that way. <laughs> hey, you reminded me talking about Charles Haley when he gave his speech at the Hall of Fame, which was a movie, I thought it was a terrific speech. When he told that story about driving up on all the greens at Pebble Beach because uh, he didn't know you weren't supposed to drive on the greens, he said you were there. Why didn't you stop him from <laughs> driving up on the greens by about the third <laughs> third green?
11: Wait, well, I only saw him once. I thought he, I thought he did, <laughs> but I had no idea. <laughs> Plus, he, when his mind goes, when he puts his mind to something, he's kind of a hard guy to stop. You can ask a lot of offensive linemen
1: in that. <laughs> hey, Joe, I've got one last Eddie question for you. It seemed to me right. when you guys closed Candlestick, I think you had a touch football game or a flag football game or something like that. And the last touchdown mm-hmm. pass, was thrown by you to Mr. D in the end zone. If he gets into the Hall of Fame, does he throw a pass to you from the stage?
11: <laughs> oh, God. I hope he has the chance, too, because I, I definitely will catch it. <laughs> that was a fun time, too. That was a blast how that worked out. We had a great... We Actually, well, the funny thing about that is we. we really... Had talked about it in the end, and I said, no matter what the score is, no matter what, you know, we're going to have to figure this out, and I want to end the game with the catch and the touchdown pass for the final touchdown pass in camp <laughs> And what was so funny is that the game went, and I'm going, oh, man, there's no way this is going to happen because it was six minutes ago in the game. They were driving, and all of a sudden threw an interception. And we took the whole six minutes to get down the field, and it just happened to be the last play. It timed out perfectly. Oh, it must be karma, is all I can figure. Because we had talked about it, and I'm sitting there going, "There's no way this plan is going to have to happen. It's going to have to. We're going to have to just eat up the time after they score because they weren't going to not score with six minutes to go in the game. And it just went our way. So it was great. It was a great way to end. He, he had blasts. blast. We had a we had a good time putting Candlestick behind us.
2: Hey, Joe, did you say karma or Carmen? <laughs>
11: <laughs> this might not be any different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Joe, true story.
1: When we were in Canton this summer, we were with Mr. DeBartolo and we are leaving the uh, room where there was a luncheon, and a security guard was moving people away. He looked at Eddie and he said, Excuse me, Mr. Policy, would you move out of the way? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's true. Uh, I can't see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> he was not happy. <laughs> oh, I'll bet not. I'll bet
3: not. <laughs> hey, hey, Joe. Thanks for the time. Really thank you for you the bet. time. My this pleasure. has been a lot My of fun.
1: Pleasure. It's been more than fun. It's been a privilege. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate Thanks, Joe. It. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, that was Joe Montana, and that was a lot of fun. Having covered Eddie DeBarla's 49 for years and knowing Eddie as I do, guys, I, I think Joe's absolutely right. I think he would be overwhelmed with a place in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I know how much he misses the NFL. And to get in the Hall, I think, would be a validation of everything Eddie believes he did right.
2: I think the Hall of Fame is quite an adrenaline rush even for players who are first ballot selections you know I, I can only imagine the adrenaline rush for those who are long shots ever to get in like owners and general managers you know they have beaten some very long odds just to get to this point it's the final validation the only real validation that what you did in football separated you from all other owners I think this will be one very
3: powerful moment in the lifetime of DeBartolo Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think obviously the disappointment will be palpable. You know, if if he, for him he doesn't get in, as you guys know, we joke about it all the time. You know, if one of us here was the first ballot Hall of Fame, That would be the Gooser, and one of us is the Harry Carson of writers. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I know what that feels like to to sit there. And say, oh, okay. You want your
1: <laughs> name taken off the list, Ron?
3: Yeah, yeah, I haven't gone that far yet. Uh, <laughs> but but so I think for Eddie D to be in San Francisco, you know. Some would say scene of the crime. Someone would say scene of his greatest triumphs. Uh, and, and to be this close to it, I think if he gets it, he'll be over the moon. And if he it, doesn't get it, uh, you know he'll be whatever that Apollo was when they were freezing to death trying to get back into the, <laughs> into the atmosphere.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, as I said, it was good to hear from Joe Montana. And it's going to be good to hear from Rick and Ron when we return. They both have a lot of their minds, and you're about to hear it. This is the Talk of fame Network. The following was
6: recorded at a Burger King drive-thru at breakfast.
4: Morning, welcome to Burger King. Can I get a sausage egg and cheese croissant Sandwich? Sure can. Right now they're two for four dollars, but could you say that word again? Chris Sandwich? Oh, where I'm from we say Chris Sandwich!
5: Wow. Where are you from? From behind this counter?
6: Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs and melted cheese. Get two croissant Sandwich breakfast sandwiches for just four dollars. Only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary.
8: Hi, Tom Bodet. These days the internet is full of quizzes to find out what kind of fruit you are or what movie character you're most like or what state you belong in. Well, take it from this tangerine space cop who apparently belongs in Alaska, you won't find any quizzes at motel6.com. Just lots of clean, comfortable rooms for the lowest price of any national chain. Now let's see, am I more like a mild Swiss or a smoked Gouda? Well, I'm Tom Bodet from Motel 6 and we'll leave the light on for you.
9: Call Quicken Loans now at 800-QUICKEN to see if you qualify for the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And for five years in a row now, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction. And for the second year in a row, they've also ranked us highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800-QUICKEN or visit quickenloans.com. Visit
6: jdpower.com for award information. Call for cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender, license in all 50 states, NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030.
7: When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. Go to Wix.com and create your website today. It's easy and free. That's Wix.com. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin,
0: and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. They
5: are who we thought they were.
0: The Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by GEICO.
1: That's GEICO, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to GEICO.com. We're also brought to you by Advanced Auto Parts and Carquest. Great products, great people, and great prices. That's Advanced Auto Parts and Car Quest, and speaking of great people, yep, we have our resident answer man, Dr. Data, a.k.a. Rick Goslin, to tell us not who's out in the NFL, as he has in past weeks, but who may be in in a league where youth is served.
2: Goose? Uh, Yes, Clark, the, the future bodes well for the St. Louis Rams, and despite their own two start, the future bodes pretty well for the Seattle Seahawks as well. The Rams have the youngest team in the NFL with an average age of 24.96 years. That's the youngest roster any team has taken into the NFL since 2000. More importantly, St. Louis is playing its youth. The Rams also have the youngest starting lineup in the league at 25.31 years of age. The average age of the starting lineup is what matters to me, not the average age of their roster. You have youth, good, but are you playing it? The Kansas City Chiefs, for instance, have the fourth youngest roster in the NFL at 25.3 years. But the Chiefs aren't playing their youth. The average age of their starting lineup is 27.1 years, 16th best in the NFL. Logically, most teams have a younger roster than starting lineup. But the defending NFC champion Seahawks are the anomaly. They are younger on the field than they are on the sideline. The average age of the Seahawks is 26.1 years but the average age of the starters is 25.6, making them the second-youngest lineup behind the Rams. The Seahawks have been one of the five youngest teams in the NFL each of the last five years and were the absolute youngest team in two of those seasons. Seattle has won the NFC West each of the last three years, also claiming two conference titles and a Super Bowl. The team at the other end of the spectrum is the Indianapolis Colts, Colts, who went all-in on a championship this season, signing aging stars Frank Gore, Andre Johnson, Trent Cole and Todd Harriman's all whom start, that gave them the oldest roster in the NFL at 27.2 years, and the second oldest lineup at 28.1 years. But all the Colts have to show for that all that age is an 0-2 start. The salary cap made the NFL a young man's game, and some teams play it better than others. And right now, knowing is playing. No one is playing it any better than the NFC West.
3: Well, you goes. That's all very interesting. It, it always is. Uh, when you put on your white coat with a little pencil protector thing, you know. Uh, But but, (laughs) pencils. Yeah, yeah. he had a few pencils and maybe a pen even. But in today's NFL, isn't it really all about the competence of your quarterback and the fatties in front of him, uh, rather than how many candles are on your birthday cakes? Uh, Jimmy Johnson taught me the value of youth in
2: 1992 when he won his first Super Bowl in Dallas. Not only were the Cowboys the youngest team in the NFL, they were the healthiest. They lost only eight games by starters because of injuries that season. Older players tend to get hurt, and it takes them longer to get back in the field. If you have an older team, you're always rebuilding, retooling. Young teams allow you to stick with your core nucleus longer. So keep an eye on St. Louis and what the Rams are building. This could be a good team for a long time.
1: Who's got a question for you here? I, I don't know if you know the answer, but uh, just wonder where New England stacks up in that group because that's a team that's always there at the finish line. I think Ron's got a good point. You know, their quarterback obviously isn't young. He's 38. So... My question is, based on what Ron was saying earlier, isn't really quarterback where you have guys like Brady and Manning in a position or a position where actually you don't want age or really where you do want experience?
2: Oh, interesting enough, Mark. Even with a 38-year-old Tom Brady, the Patriots still have the 12th youngest lineup in the NFL this season. Whoa! You keep a Brady, a Manning, and a Breeze as long as as they can throw the football, but you keep the cast around them young. Belichick has become a master of that.
1: Goose, thanks for the info. You know what? We're now going from the dock to the rock. As in rock your boat. It's Ron Borges, who this week tells us former tight end Mark Bavaro, who actually, remarkably, was not an Oakland Raider, deserves more consideration from the Hall of Fame than he's gotten. Ron, Mark's on the preliminary list for the class of 2016, so
3: let's hear what you got. Well, you should have been a Raider because you would have fit right in, but... Uh yeah, Mark Bavaro was an old-school tight end. He was not a glorified wide receiver spread out to the wide running deep posts. He was an inline blocker and a receiver who worked in the heavy traffic in the middle of a defense. This guy craved contact the way bees crave honey. Few have ever done his job better or more violently than Mark Bavaro. He was the fourth-round draft choice of the Giants in 1985. Uh, he was the starter that season, and by his second year, he was all pro, something he would achieve twice. Uh, he also was already a legend known as Rambo because he said little and did munch, usually violently. He took over the starting position when Zeke Mowat was, was hurt and uh, didn't give it back until a degenerative knee injury forced him to take a year off to rehab after surgery in 1991. Uh, by then, his reputation had been made. According to Bill Belichick, who's his great and good friend, he told me, I don't think Mark ever got the recognition that any of us, uh, uh, any of us who coached him or played against him know he deserves he was as good a player as we had on the Giants, and that includes a lot of good players. He said, I know every team we played. Every time we played the Eagles, they played that over. Mark was out there on Reggie White. He blocked him without any help. He blocked Reggie White better than most tackles blocked him. There was not another tight end in the league who could have done that. And in Belichick's opinion, quote, I think that alone should put him in the Hall of Fame. But the fact is, Mark Bavaro was more than a blocker. In his second season, he had 66 receptions, which was double that of the next highest receiver on the Giants and he took those catches for 1,001 yards. I'm sure the three of us all remember. He cemented uh, his place as an NFL hard-nosed that season on Monday Night Football, when he caught a pass over the middle uh, in San Francisco, and he took seven 49ers with him, including Hall of Famer Ronnie Lott. By the time they finally brought him down, he had lugged uh, Ronnie Lott on his back for 14 yards. After the game, Bill Waltz said, Guevara was the premier tight end in the league, and that was an opinion shared by many. Uh, until his knee knee gave out after six years. At that point, uh, he still played in every game and starred in the uh, second of the Giants' two Super Bowl victories. He made two key third-down catches in that 20-19 win over the Bills and then was told that his career was over. Well, he played three more years. His career was not over. And although he ended up with 351 receptions, 4,733 yards, and 39 touchdowns that pale by today's standards, he played a position unknown to football today, and he played it better than most anybody. On quickly, Mark Bavaro or Dave Casper? Well, I can I can uh, take the fifth on that because Casper's already in the Hall of Fame, so we don't have to vote for. him. Uh, but I, I think Bavaro was was Bavaro was really up there with. Uh, he wasn't the receiver Casper was, but he's a much better blocker.
1: That is the sound that the first half's coming to a close. So we'll go to the two-minute drill with me asking our producer Derek Burns, moving Rick and Ron along with a quick whistle. So let's get started. Eric, let's go. Who hits harder? J.J. Watt or Marco Rubio's aide?
2: Watt, he could knock Donald Trump down. I'm not sure anyone in the Rubio camp can.
3: My nine-year-old hits harder than Rich Beeson. Did you see that video?
1: Jerry Jones says he was, quote, as low as a crippled crick's ass, unquote, <laughs> after the Tony <laughs> Romo injury. How much lower can you get?
2: Lower than gum on the bottom
3: of a shoe? Uh Well, whale manure comes to mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> John Beeson says Thursday night game shows the NFL,
3: quote, really doesn't
1: care, unquote, about players.
2: What do you say? Less TV money, less salary for players. Does John Beeson
3: care about his paycheck? I say John Beeson does not have CTE. They don't care until the tort attorneys show up. At the end of the
1: year, what will we be saying about RG3?
3: How did he start ahead of that Spartan for the last three years? <laughs> oh, Lord save us. Good night, sweet prince. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Johnny Manziel
1: or Merrill
2: Hodge? Manziel. as next player turned to TV. Hodge is yesterday's
3: news. Manziel, he was right about Hodge. tie knot. That thing is gigundus.
1: <laughs> Johnny Manziel or Josh McCown?
2: Manziel, because he's done a better job putting the ball in the hands of Travis Benjamin.
3: <laughs> Manziel, McCown isn't even yesterday's news. He's no news.
1: We're building a Hall of Fame for uniforms. So what's your first entry?
2: Packers, you guys know how much I love the color green. Oh, God, this is simple.
3: The silver and black attack. <laughs> dun, 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 dun.
2: <laughs>
1: You're right, it is simple. Chargers powder blue. Which is zero and two, team? is in the
3: least trouble.
2: The Colts, any can run this race at its own pace. There's no one in the AFC South
3: chasing them. The Bears, they're living up to preseason predictions. How do you explain Ndamukong Sue's uninspired
2: play? He clearly misses the Modus City.
1: <laughs> Money belt
2: is weighing him down.
1: Donald Trump says Joe Flacco is an
2: elite quarterback. You agree? When you have a $120 million contract and a Super Bowl ring, that's
3: leading my book. If Trump said it. I disagree with it.
1: What in the name of hokey Gajun happened to the New Orleans
2: Saints? They traded one of the NFL's most feared weapons, Jimmy Graham, to the Seahawks. I'd say they're in the gumball, Clark.
1: Who winds up with more touchdowns, Eli or Peyton Manning?
2: Eli this season, Peyton in his career. Eli can't even remember what team he's on. The Pope is visiting the U.S., so what miracles should we pay for? The reduction of the preseason to two games.
3: Two miracles. Rex Ryan never stops talking, and RG3 is struck dumb. <laughs> that is the end of our first hour, so don't go anywhere. When we
1: return, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame's class of 2016, as well as talk to Dwight Clark of New York Daily News' Gary Myers, author of Brady vs. Manning. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. The following was recorded at
6: a Burger King drive thru at breakfast.
4: Morning, welcome to Burger King. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese, Chris Sandwich? Sure can. Right now, they're two for $4, but could you say that word again? Chris Sandwich? Oh, where I'm from, we say Chris Sandwich.
5: Wow. Where are you from? From behind this counter?
6: Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two Sandwich breakfast sandwiches for just $4, only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary.
15: If your computer is running slow, go to MyCleanPC.com and get a free computer diagnosis. In minutes, you can activate MyCleanPC software to clean out the junk that may be slowing down your computer. Increase your computer speed today with MyCleanPC.com. That's MyCleanPC.com.
0: Hi, I'm Bruce Fabrizio, inventor of Simple Green, the iconic cleaning formula known around the globe. Try a Simple Green product today, and if you're not 100% satisfied, I'll refund your money. Visit us at SimpleGreen.com. Simple Green. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge.
1: this is our number two on the Talk of Fame. As promised, we'll sit down with former receiver Dwight Clark, who made the catch over 33 years ago, and Gary Myers, author of Brady vs. Manning, as well as dissect the Hall of Fame's preliminary class of 2016. But first, first let's get to what's going on around the league, guys, and Goose, I want to start in your backyard. I'm talking Tony Romo. He's out, of course, for an extended period of time. I don't know for how long, I don't know what the Cowboys know for how long, but I do know that without him, Dallas is 6-9 and nine since Romo became the team starter in 2006. question, of course, is how do they cope? Well, ask Jerry Jones. This is what he told 105.3, the fan, in Dallas this week.
2: greatest thing we could do for him and our team is to have success right now. And it literally would be a foundation uh, event if we can be successful here.
1: Bruce I'll tell you something else I know. I know his replacement, Brandon Whedon, yeah, 5-16 and 16 as a starter. So what are the Cowboys' prospects without Tony Romo and Dez Bryant the next two months?
2: Well, success is easier said than done. I mean, if you took away Brady and Gronkowski from the Patriots, what would New England's prospects be? I mean, the same deal here, best quarterback, best receiver, the two faces of the franchise. But this team is already playing without its best cornerback, its best run defender, and its two best pass rushers. You know, fortunately for the Cowboys, the division is going to let them survive. The NFC East stinks. Right. I'm thinking nine-seven may win it, and may win it by two games. You know, the Cowboys just need to stay afloat. Maybe go four and four over the next eight games until Romo comes back. Then the division will still be theirs for the taking.
1: Well, Goose, I, I heard Rodney Harrison, friend of the show, <laughs> say the other night, "Just don't screw it up, Brandon."
2: Would that be your message to him? Now, my message would be just hand the ball off, Brandon. Defense has carried the Cowboys in the first two weeks. Just don't give the defense bad field positions with interceptions.
3: Well, you know, guys, I'm kind of a fountain of positivity. I've always believed in positive of messages. Course.
1: You <laughs> yeah, know, of course. So you were quoting Bill Belichick earlier.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. So don't screw it up. I'm not sure there's the way to go, you know. Uh, but, look, he's got a great offensive line in front of him, decent enough backs. Pretty soon his defense will start getting some of their better players back. Look, history tells us he's going to stumble, but as Goose says, you know, where's the competition? I just right. suggest that Dallas remind us all for the next five or six weeks what ball control running football really is. Don't be a weenie, weedy.
1: <laughs> but Ronnie, I'm glad you mentioned that about the division. Goose, I want to go back to what you said earlier. I agree with you 100%. The best ally is this division, the NFC East. It stinks. So who's going to squeeze Dallas if anyone does? I mean, I, I saw the Eagles last week. So did you. They're beyond horrible. I mean, they were inept. So who's going to squeeze these guys? Well,
2: the Eagles can't block. That's the issue. You know, Sam Bradford has no confidence in their blocking, and neither does DeMarco Murray. I mean, this is this is a sad commentary in Chip Kelly offense. The team that's going to be there at the end is going to be Washington. Look what they're doing. They hired Bill Callahan away from the Cowboys, the offensive line coach. He goes to Washington. Guess who leads the NFL in rushing this week? Yes, the Redskins. Guess who's got a top-five defense? Yes, the Redskins. Guess who's playing the same formula? that the Cowboys had last season, the Redskins, they'll be there at the end, the Cowboys and the Redskins. How about the Giants,
1: if you gave Eli a watch? No? No? <laughs>
2: How about no? No? <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, and listen, I'm sure you guys also saw the Green Bay-Seattle game. Are, are the Packers now the team to beat in the NFC, or were they always the team to beat?
3: Yeah, I think they always were. I mean, uh, uh, there are more mediocre teams than ever in the NFL today. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, And one of these days, paying customers may just figure it out, uh, but they haven't yet. You know, parody, as I've always said, is another word for mediocrity. Uh, so, if you have a superior quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, stuff to lose these days.
1: Yeah, Ron, you're right. There are a lot of mediocre teams outside of Foxborough, Rod. Um, and what do we make of the Seattle Seahawks after dropping their first two games? And they catch a break. I think they've got Chicago this week, Detroit at home. Oh, both games are at home the next two weeks. But after that. Four of their next five are against unbeaten teams. So, Goose, should Russell Wilson start sharing that reliant recovery water with his teammates?
2: No, I think look, the Seahawks are now looking up at the Cardinals. I mean, that's the team to beat now in the West. A healthy Carson Palmer has Arizona right. things Super You know, money. Sadly, money became the focal point in Seattle. Better contracts for Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, Earl Thomas probably cost the Seahawks camp chances this fall. I mean, this is a franchise
3: franchise that literally has taken its eye off the ball. Uh, look, Clark. Facts are facts. They need a quarterback. The defense slips a little, and they can't beat a rug in the backyard on the fence. You always credited <laughs> Russell Wilson for everything. Yeah, it was Russell Wilson. It was Russell Wilson. It was. Russell... Well, what goes around comes around, bro. Put it on the quarterback, not the yeah, referees, I'm Not like the
1: quarterbacks fall. Oh, yeah, the question. quarterbacks. Great.
3: Quick question when, here. When they win, oh. it's the quarterback, Goose. When they lose, it's everybody but the quarterback. Oy, hey, oy, Goose.
1: Oy. Peyton Manning, quarterback. Are we heading for a showdown with Gary Kubiak? Shotgun versus under center.
3: Gary Kubiak could be in Denver longer than
2: Peyton Manning. Manning is an employee of the general manager. Kubiak is best friend of the GM. Okay. With Kubiak and this one.
1: Okay. Well, I'll tell you what my best friend is. A break, and that's where we're going. Stay where you are. When we return, we'll be talking to former San Francisco star, Dwight Clark. It's the talk of Fame Network.
6: The following was recorded at a Burger King drive-thru at breakfast.
4: Morning. Welcome to Burger King. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich? Sure can. Right now, they're two for $4, but could you say that word again? Chris sandwich Where I'm from, we say Chris sandwich
5: Wow. Where you from? From behind this counter?
6: Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get 2 Chris cro-sandwich breakfast sandwiches for just $4, only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary.
12: This is Lori Grenier. You've seen me on Shark Tank, hearing pitches from small businesses. Now there is a new way for small businesses to get alone in minutes. It's called cabbage. That's cabbage with a K. Just fill out the application online. You'll get an instant decision and could have access to a line of credit of up to $100,000. No waiting, no hassle. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and is a Forbes Top 100 company. Go to cabbage.com, that's cabbage with a K, K K-A-B-B-A-G-E, or call 888-CABBAGE.
8: Hi, Tom Bodet, trying out this paleolithic diet. You know, the one where you eat the stuff cavemen used to eat? Well, right now, I just want to hunt and gather a pizza. For you, on the other hand, I recommend a steady diet of Motel 6, where you can get a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain. Sure beats this cave, not to mention the loincloth, which is draftier than I anticipated. Well, I'm Tom Bodet from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Book online at motel6.com.
9: Call Quicken Loans now at 800-QUICKEN to see if you qualify for the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And for five years in a row now, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction. And for the second year in a row, they've also ranked us highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800-QUICKEN or visit QuickenLoans.com. Visit JDPower.com for award information. Call for
6: cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender, license in all 50 states. ConsumerAccess.org number 3030.
0: Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network.
1: Our next guest is one of my favorite persons in or out of the NFL. Dwight Clark not only was Joe Montana's favorite receiver before Jerry Rice arrived, he was one of Eddie DeBartolo's favorite people, too, with the 49ers later making him their general manager. He was a success as a player, and I don't need to remind you who made the catch he was a success as a front office executive, keeping the 49ers at or near the top of the NFL after Joe Levert KC. And he's always a success when he joins this show. Dwight, thanks for joining us.
14: <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for having me. And what an introduction. Wow. That was, <laughs> that
1: was good. Always a pleasure talking to you, Dwight. <laughs> hey, Dwight, we've been well, talking to Eddie DeBarlow on the show, and we spoke to Joe in the first hour about Eddie's Hall of Fame candidacy. I'll ask you what we asked him. Why should Eddie DiBartolo be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame?
14: You guys are voters, too, aren't you? We yes, are. we are. Yeah, so, so I've got to convince you guys. Well, um, I don't know what Joe said, but we, we've all gotten together and talked about why and, and all that stuff. And what we all came up with is NFL Hall of Fame is the best of the best, and if there's a better owner out there in the NFL, maybe even of all time, I'd, uh, I'd have a hard time finding. It. He he was a great owner. Uh, he oversaw the dynasty of the 49ers for like I don't know over 20 years, and he's got obviously got the stats with uh, 16 playoff appearances in 23 years, five Super Bowls in 14 years, 10 division championship games. He's got all he's got all that. Uh, seven seasons with uh, 13 and three, but. To me, what makes him the kind of guy that needs to be in the Hall of Fame is that he set the standard for the modern day owners. He was—he was—it was not just football either. I—I I, I know that the new owners that were coming into the league, Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft and Jerry Richardson, all modeled their organizations after the 49ers of the '80s. He gave the league a marquee team that. Uh, Helped significantly grow the TV ratings in the 80s, which made the the league stronger and better. He put pressure on other owners to, to spend money to compete, which uh, which made the league stronger. So, you know, and obviously I love Eddie Wardlow. Uh, he's been so good to me, and I just think it would it would be a great feather in his cap, uh, and it would be well deserved because of. I know. I know. Bill had a lot to do with the success, but it was Eddie right there beside him, approving all those things that that uh, Bill wanted to do, and you know the fellowship coaches and the continued education. And not everybody thought Eddie should hire Bill Walsh, but Eddie saw something, and look what Bill turned into. So, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I hope you guys will vote. To put Eddie in there, and not only that, can you imagine? I mean, look what he's done for the, what he did for the 49ers. If he was in the Hall of Fame, he would help really build something special in, in Canton. There, I'm sure he would put his financial support behind whatever kind of progress they wanted to make there. All right, Very so good. that's my spiel.
3: How'd that's I pretty do? good spiel. That's pretty good. I got to say, you're like a campaign manager. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs>
14: I'm
3: not an attorney, so don't argue with me about it. <laughs> oh, no, no. We're, this is not an argumentative place. Very easy. You know, there's a million uh, uh, Eddie stories, I'm sure. You know, we hear about how competitive he it was is. and the famous uh, sword that uh, uh, Paul Stelis talks about, the samurai sword that was there, and he knew that at some point you have to run yourself through it if you don't win. What, uh, uh, what's, your, what's your favorite Eddie story, uh, if there is one?
14: Um, well, yeah, I got it. I got a million. I when when I tore up my knee, I'm in the lock they carted me off and I'm in the locker room and there Eddie comes running in the locker room all teary you know. Eddie treated us like we were his family. And when we got hurt, it hurt him just as bad. I, I can remember I got in a fight one time in a game and I when we won the game, it was against Buffalo, and I came in the locker room and um Eddie grabbed me by my jersey and he was like thanks for fighting for me out there today. You know, I was like, well, absolutely Boston. I was fighting every week after that. If that's what he wanted, <laughs> I, I bring it on. I'm I Make the boss happy. <laughs>
2: Dwight, what was, Dwight, what was the best part of work for him? Either as a player or as an administrator?
14: Well, like I said, he, he, he loved us uh, like we were family members. And so we didn't want to let him down. So It was easy to get up for games. We, uh, we wanted to play hard for him. We wanted to win for him. He was, as you guys know, and he's unbelievably generous. After that third Super Bowl, he took us, not just the players and their wives, but the coaches and their wives, any employee and their husband, wife, whatever, to Hawaii for five days. With mm-hmm. you know, We had our ring ceremony over there, and Dewey Lewis was the entertainment. We blew out. It, it, it was ridiculous. You know I mean he just he's so appreciative of what that those teams were able to do in the 80s and early 90s and he paid it back tenfold.
1: I wish I'd been covering the team then Dwight I would have liked to have made that trip. Oh, we're <laughs> with former 49er star Dwight Clark on the talk of And <laughs> Dwight. Let's switch subjects here. We asked you what the best part of playing for Eddie was. Goose just asked you. I'm going to ask you what was the best part of playing with Joe Montana?
14: Wow. Well, Joe is, as you guys know, he's just a big kid. He just wants to compete and play the game and have fun, and and you knew he was always prepared. And no matter what the situation was, you know he could find a way to get you out of that. If it was a bad situation, you know, get you out of it, to get us down the field and get that first down, find the open guy. I mean, I, I watched that. Uh, I have to when I give talks, I have to talk about the catch, obviously. And so or, uh, I don't have to. I want to. But um, I, I watch it a lot. to try to find out other little things that happen. And when you watch that final drive, the way he picked people apart and found open guys and stuck the ball in little tight windows, his ability, uh, the way he prepared, um, and then just just being such a likable guy. It, uh, it made you want to, you know, you, you couldn't wait to get on the field with him because you just knew he was going to make you better.
2: Like uh, Joe mentioned that Ronnie Lott thought the 84 team was the best of those four Super Bowl champions. In your mind, which was the best 49er team?
14: Well, I would, uh, I'd like to say the 84 team was the best because I, I did get to play on that one, but I I was not on that that team that beat Denver 55-10. And um, I don't know, that was, that was a pretty good team there that uh, that won that game. So um, I'll, I'll selfishly go with 84 but I, I totally understand if anybody wants to pick the, the 88 team. You know when I, I retired in 87 and the 49ers missed me so much they went to back-to-back Super Bowl. <laughs>
3: was it uh, to see Joe leave San Francisco? You know, players always talk about, uh you know, it's inevitable. People, they come and they go. Uh, but I'm wondering, what were your uh, emotions in 1994, head uh, of player personnel, when you you watch uh, uh, you watch him beat the 49ers in, in Kansas City?
14: Yeah, um, I was I was actually on the way up in management. I had uh, you know I retired in '87, and then I was there in uh, 88 and 89 and then, you know, Joe gets hurt. But, um, yeah, I was, I was kind of working my way up and I couldn't believe they wanted to trade Joe Montana. I, I wasn't in favor of it at all. I understood the money part and all that, but how could you, how could you do that to a four time Super Bowl champion? And, and so I was, I was totally against it, but, but somehow, you know, and I, w- I was asked to try to get him to go. And, and he kind of took that the wrong way that I was in favor of him leaving, which I was not. And, and so there was about, after he left, there was, I don't know, several years, four, five, six years where there was, it wasn't bad blood. It was just, um, he and I didn't talk very much. And, you know, this was my best friend. And so that, that was a little bit rough. But then when, when he retired, um, his wife invited me to the ceremony and, and all that stuff. And that's when we started to kind of heal a little bit. And uh, a few years after that, we, you know, we, we totally got back together, talked it out and, and all that. And, but I, I had to make sure that he knew I had nothing to do with that. That was <laughs> me. That was uh, Like I said, I understand. He had been injured, there was a lot of money, Steve Young was player of the year, two years. I I, I understand, but I still
1: wouldn't have done it. We're with Dwight Clark on the Talk of Fame Network. And Dwight, I'll ask you the loaded question here. Uh, Joe and former San Mateo resident Tom Brady each have four Super Bowl rings. So when you look at Tom Brady, do you see Joe, and I'm not talking about style, I'm just talking about his ability to win big games.
14: Are we talking about the ball being deflated nope. or... Right? <laughs> no, let's not go there. Let's not go there. I'm talking about yeah, let's winning go there. big games. Let's go there. Uh, oh, man. Uh, I, know, I know Brady gets compared to Joe constantly. Uh, I haven't been in a huddle with him. I do see some similarities out there on the field. Uh, I mean, Brady's a winner, and... Um, and, that, and, you know, that's what Joe is. But I just, I, I mean, there. I don't know that, to me, Joe Montana's the greatest football player, not just quarterback. He's the greatest football player that ever played. So I was in the huddle with him. I've, I've seen what he's done back there, you know, where he'd say, you know, if the defender's coming from your backside left, I'll get you on the right side so you don't get turned into the tackle. And, you know, I'm like, you can't do that with all that stuff going on back there. So you start paying attention to it, and, he could hit numbers if he needed to. He w- he was just so accurate, and he had such presence out on the field. And um, his field vision was incredible. And he would he prepared. He would be the guy leaving at night. You know, back back in the day, we had that tape that you had to watch on the projector. He'd be leaving with you know five to ten tapes under his arm to go home and continue to study. He he was just, he was a magical guy. He had great judgment. And yeah, I see some of those things in Tom Brady, but I i take Joe Montana 10 out of 10 times.
1: Hey, Dwight, I'll tell you what I can see. I can see we're out of time. But it's always, always <laughs> okay. great to hear from you. And I'll tell you what, we'll look for you when we come out to Super Bowl 50.
14: I'll be here, man. I'll be here. And you got my number now, so call me anytime. I'll, I'll give you more Joe Montana and Eddie Bartolo stories. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds That's
9: good.
14: That's a deal, Dwight.
2: Thanks, Thank you. Thank you.
14: All right, guys. Thank you. Hey. Talk to you later.
1: That was former 49 star Dwight Clark. When we return, we'll take a look at the Hall of Fame's preliminary class for 2016. This is the Talk of Fame Network.
12: Hi, this is Lori Grenier. You've seen me on Shark Tank. I've developed, launched, and marketed over 400 products. Applying for a traditional loan is frustrating. There's paperwork, references, tax forms. You wait weeks for an answer, and you may not get the funds. There's a new way to get funding without the hassle. It's called Cabbage. That's Cabbage with a K. Here's how it works. Go to Cabbage.com, fill out the online application. It takes minutes to complete, and you'll get a decision with none of the waiting. You could have immediate access to a line of credit of up to $100,000. No fees of any kind to set up your line, and you don't pay a cent until you take a loan. It's helpful for a business to have security and flexibility. Cabbage is a rated by the Better Business Bureau. It's provided funds to over 50,000 businesses and has been named one of Forbes top 100 companies twice in a row. So check out cabbage.com. That's cabbage with a K, K K-A-B-B-A-G-E or call 888-CABBAGE, the number one online provider of small business loans.
13: Time for a getaway to Las Vegas and with Luxor's best rate guarantee, you'll find the lowest guaranteed rates at luxor.com. Book online now and get the guaranteed lowest rates on your room. That means when you stay with us, you can get your Lux on for less and experience everything the pyramid has to offer, like some of the best shows and nightlife in Vegas. Check them out at Luxor.com. And while you're there, book your room and take advantage of Luxor's best rate guarantee. If your
15: computer is running slow, go to MyCleanPC.com and get a free computer diagnosis. In minutes, you can activate MyCleanPC software to clean out the junk that may be slowing down your computer. Increase your computer speed today with MyCleanPC.com. That's MyCleanPC.com.
0: Hi, I'm Bruce Fabrizio, inventor of Simple Green, the concentrated cleaner that's perfect for making your auto, RV, cycling, boating, and other sporting equipment look like new again. Visit us at SimpleGreen.com. SimpleGreen. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge.
5: They are who we thought they were. The
1: Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Grasshopper. As an entrepreneur, you're always on the go. Turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a local or toll-free number or bring your own. If you want to see how it works, just log on to grasshopper.com. Also, a reminder the Talk of Fame is brought to you by GEICO. That's GEICO, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Guys, I'm sure you caught it, uh, but Al Locasal, who was once Al Davis' right-hand man with the Raiders, passed away this week at the age of 82. He was smart, he was crusty, and he was highly protective of the Raiders' image. And, Ron, I know you were close to him when you covered the Oakland Raiders.
3: How should Al yeah. be remembered? Well, you know, it's interesting, Clark, because he was, uh, uh, first off, he was a guy who knew a lot more football than people, uh, especially immediate people, thought. You know, he was a former coach at Penn and at USC. Uh, he also was Al's fall guy, you know. Uh, one of the things they used to do there was he would have local Sal negotiate with guys that are holding out, you know, Stabler, Casper, whatever. And and then and he would tell local Sal, you know, yeah, yeah, we're not giving him this or we're not giving him that. So, I would be this crusty, hard guy. Uh, and then, after about two weeks go by, Davis would call the player up. And you go, What is the problem here? And he'd go, Well, you know, Local Sal says, What is he talking about? 10000 ducks, 50000 000... Ah, oh, These guys, you know, and Al Davis would be the hero, and Local Sal would be the worst guy in the world, you know. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it was typical Davis. I'll tell you another story about him that I think uh, 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 Goose in particular will like. Well, you will too. You're a former San Diego guy. You know, he was with the Chargers. Before he was ever with the Raiders, of course. He once told me a great story about how he con- uh, how he convinced the Chargers to draft Ernie Ladd. He was getting his shoes shined, and the guy shining his shoes looked up and noticed he had this Charger uh, logo on his sweater. So he told him, You work for the Chargers? He said, Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah, I just had some guy from the NFL here, and you know, I was working on his boots. He kept telling me about this guy they wanted to draft this year, Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd. He said, He's going to be a great player, Ernie Ladd. Uh, Locus House said he had no idea who Ernie Ladd was. But he was convinced enough that whoever this executive was, he must know something. So he convinced the Chargers to, to draft Ernie Ladd, who of course, turned out to be a guy who terrorized quarterbacks for many years for the for the Chargers. So uh, Lucas Al was always looking for, a, for an edge. Oh,
1: well, he got it with Ernie Ladd. Uh, anyway, did. Al Locasal, gone too soon at the age of 82. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we're going to dissect the introductory class, so the preliminary class of 2016 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and that's what we're going to do now. Uh, I broke down our website, talkfamenetwork.com a week ago, and I want to hear what you guys have to say now. We have 108 candidates. There's one slam dunk there. That's Brett Favre. Several close calls from last year. I think of Kevin Green, for instance, Marvin Harrison, Orlando Pace. We cut that class to the semifinal class of 25 in November. And Guys, I may ask you to try to get in that neighborhood now. First of all, aside from Favre, whom do you like among the first-year nominees?
2: None of them. I'm of the belief there are first ballot Hall of Famers and there are Hall of Famers. You can count the first ballot guys in history on a couple of hands. Brett Favre is among them. No one else on this list of first timers is. I think there are better players who, are, who have been waiting patiently in the queue for their turn. This is how the process gets screwed up. You start rushing all these first ballot candidates in, and good players start sliding and sliding and sliding. Their cases are never heard. In 25 years down the road, they wind up in the laps of Ron and I in the senior committee. Now, I'd rather have worthy candidates like Mike Ken, Carl Mecklenburg, Albert Lewis, and Darren Woodson. They won't be discussed for the very first time as their eligibility clocks tick down.
3: You know, Clark, I don't disagree in this particular case, but you know, Clark, if our friend Dr. Data, known to me as Los Lobos you are standing at the pearly gates. Nobody's getting in. Mother Teresa, <laughs> get your ass out of here! You know, you, 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 once didn't give a bowl of porridge to some poor person. Uh, you know, That's the killer. Uh, of the guys on the list, I mean, I agree with him. I mean, I, I and you guys both know I'm not a big first ballot guy. I think it's overrated. But the only other guy who I think uh, you know really makes a big impact there is Alan Fanica. He's a nine-time Pro Bowl guy. Started 201 of 206 career games. He missed only two games in 13 years. Uh, he was all pro six times, as our friend David Baker from the Hall would say, that's a lot of excellence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot of excellence with the guy we talked to, uh, Dwight Clark, about at one point, and that's Daryl Owens. Um, He's a first-year nominee, and he's going to make it to the semifinals. I know that. He'll be a semifinalist, and he'll probably make it to the 15 finalists, and that's going to be announced in January. But what happens then,
2: Goose? Well, spoiler alert. T.O. ought to consult with Art Monk, Michael Irvin, Chris Carter, Andre Reid, Tim Brown, and Marvin Nelson. All thought they were first ballot Hall of Famers, but all had to wait and wait and wait. And Harrison is still waiting, waiting, and he ranks third on the all-time receiving list ahead of Owens. So I suggest T.O. not make any reservations in Canton for next August.
3: Look, I I don't disagree. I mean, if you look at his numbers, it's pretty hard to argue with, uh, you know, nearly 1,100 receptions and nearly 16,000 yards and nearly, uh, uh, I think he had uh, 153 touchdowns. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with that. Having said that, you know, a lot of these receivers have goofy numbers. You know, they're just silly numbers now. don't really mean anything. Um, so I think he's going to have to wait, too. But I think that eventually he's, he's a Hall of Fame player. It's, it's hard to look at his career and say that he wasn't.
1: Hey, Ron, here's a number that's significant. Yeah. Zero. The number of teams that wanted him at the top of his career.
3: Well, I understand some people say that, but uh, I don't know. He he always seemed to end up on a team, and those teams always seemed to end up doing uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, you talk about a guy averaging nearly 15 yards a catch. I mean, he, he just was a great player. Like he's not a great teammate, not a great guy, but, you know, this is not the hall of great people because if it was half of them that are in there, wouldn't be in there. And we uh,
2: may have to stop the clock on him, too, because word is he's contacted the Cowboys He wants them to sign him. Well, there we, we have, go. We may this oh, week man. we may have to push that clock back five years. Now to you,
1: hey guys, give me a dark horse who could slip into the final twenty-five. A guy we wouldn't suspect, but a guy who may slip into the final twenty-five. Goose, no,
2: I I, I would mind seeing Joe Jacoby. All decade tackle from the eighties. He's in his seventeenth year. I mean, he's running out of time.
3: I would love to see him get
2: in the room for the first time.
3: Uh, I think Fred Smurless. You know, if you look at his again, if you look at his career. Um, this is a guy, Dick Fermil once asked Chuck Knox if he could send an assistant coach up to their practices to watch how Smurlus uh, played his techniques, and they let him. That would never happen today, but I think you're talking about a, a, a great but forgotten player. Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. There you go.
1: This is a call for our Hall of Fame finalist, Ron Borges, with his weekly Borges or
10: Bogus. That's
3: right. Ronnie,
1: what do you got for us this week?
3: Well, guys, you know, uh, although it doesn't happen very often these days, sometimes coaches tell the truth. Sunday was one of those times. Cleveland Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel just eluded the pass rusher Brian Arakpo, rolled to his left, stopped dead in his tracks, and fired all across the field uh, to his right uh, to wide receiver Travis Brown for a stunning touchdown pass. When he did, according to the, uh, Browns head coach Mike Patton, offensive coordinator quarterback coach John Filippo said in the coach's headphones, coaching's overrated. Well, to me, that's not bogus. bogus. It's a fact. That's not to say coaching is is insignificant. It's particularly important in the NFL, where coaches have far more command of the game uh, once it begins than any other sport. But the growing notion that you can coach a bag of doorknobs into an NFL winner is, was, and always will be bogus. bogus. While well, coaches can certainly be a great help to a player, great players make great coaches, not the other way around. As Chuck Fairbanks used to say to me all the time, not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmys and Joe's. Uh, In Cleveland, it's about the Johnnies, or at least one Johnny. Uh, Because of how he played Sunday, a quarterback controversy is now brewing in Cleveland. Patton was asked if Manziel would continue to start once Josh McCown was healthy. He hedged. To me, that's
8: bogus. bogus.
3: Manziel may not be ready for primetime. McCown long ago proved he's an understudy. And if Patton doesn't know that, his head coaching career will soon need an undertaker. Johnny Manziel may be a bust, or he may not be a bust. But if the Browns become winners, it won't be because of Pettine's brilliance. It will be because they realize what Filippo said is true. Coaching's overrated. Talent is not. If Johnny Manziel has it, he'll make Pettine and Filippo a lot smarter than they are. Just like Joe Montana made Bill Walsh. You ever see the West Coast offense when Steve DeBerg was running it? Like Elway made Mike Shanahan. Where is Mike Shanahan? And Troy Aikman made Jimmy Johnson. Hello, Barry Switzer. It's been ever thus, but more so today than ever. Coaching's overrated. That's not bogus. bogus. It's a fact. Ron, right. don't players need the proper scheme to
2: succeed? Though you know, th- and aren't coaches responsible for those schemes and finding the players to fit those schemes? Would Tom Brady have been a- as successful playing in Jacksonville or Montana in Cleveland or Emmitt
3: Smith in uh, Buffalo? Uh, well, there's some truth to that, as there always is when uh, w- when you raise these issues, Goose. Uh, but the fact is, Tom Brady would have been successful if he's playing in Tokyo, and Joe Montana would have been successful if he's playing in Helena. Montana, state named after him. Uh, you know, you need to be in the right scheme. There's no question about it. If you ask your old Montana or Tom Brady to play the old Raider offense, drop back seven yards and throw the ball 45 yards down the field, uh, they couldn't do it. But the fact is, it's the it's the players that execute the plan. They play on the field. They decide who's smart and who's not. Quick
1: question, Ronnie. The coach yep. is overrated. Could Marvin Lewis have taken the Patriots to four Super Bowls?
3: Yeah, I think if he had uh, Tom Brady and Richard Seymour and Ty Law and, and uh, Rodney Harrison uh, and Randy Moss and all those guys, yeah, I think he could have. I think you could have, which is saying something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is saying something. I'll tell you where we're going. We're going to commercial. We have Gary Myers waiting in the wings to tell us about Brady versus Manning. It's a book that was released this week, so... Stick around, it's the Talk of Fame Network.
4: The following was
6: recorded at a Burger King drive thru at breakfast.
4: Morning, welcome to Burger King. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese, Chris Sandwich? Sure can. Right now they're two for $4, but could you say that word again? Chris Sandwich? Oh, where I'm from, we say Chris Sandwich.
5: Wow. Where are you from? From behind this counter?
6: Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two Sandwich breakfast sandwiches for just $4, only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary.
10: As an entrepreneur, you're always on the go. So turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a new business number or keep your current one. Sound professional with a main greeting and multiple extensions that forward callers to your mobile phone. You can even get voicemails transcribed. Join over 150,000 small businesses who stay connected with Grasshopper. See how it works at grasshopper.com, the entrepreneur's phone system.
8: Hi, Tom Bodette. Apparently, it's not enough to go on a weekend jog. Nowadays, so-called fun runs have barbed wire, mud bogs, and flaming hoops. Can poison blow darts be far behind? But Motel 6 is a safe stop in the long or short run. Always a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain. Book online at motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll
7: leave the light on for you. Ow, was that a blow dart? When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. Go to Wix.com and create your website today. It's easy and free. That's Wix.com.
0: Now back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host Clark Judge.
1: Talk of Fame is brought to you by Advanced Auto Parts and CarQuest—great products, great people, and great prices. And speaking of great people, we have one of our Hall of Fame selectors, the New York Daily News, is Gary Myers on the line now. Gary wrote the Brady versus Manning book that was released this week and it has gotten a ton of press, and rightly so. Gary, you're on with Clark, Rick, and Ron, and thanks for joining us.
16: It's my pleasure, guys. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: Great. Hey, Gary, listen, first question. I love the idea of this book because I've been arguing Brady versus Manning for years. How did you get this thing off the ground, especially with two quarterbacks who really can be difficult to pin down?
16: Well, Clark, um, I, I came up with the idea because I wanted to find something that defined uh, this era of the NFL, which, as everybody knows, has been the most profitable time you know, in sports history. And um, I was just thinking of you know, what, are, what are we going to remember about the last 15 or 20 years? And, and it just hit me you know, one day that the Brady-Manning rivalry is just a thing that in 15 or 20 years we're going to be talking about. And uh, I went to the publisher that I, I had done two previous books with, and I said, listen, I, I think I have a really good idea. I just can't promise you I can get either quarterback because they're not known to be all that cooperative. Would you still be interested if I just kind of write around it? And I thought it was going to be an answer. No, we got to have them. And they said, yeah, go for it. And um, it, it wasn't hard for me. Now, Ron, being in Boston, is not going to believe this, but it was not <laughs> hard for me to get Brady. I approached him in training camp in 2013. I told him about my idea, uh, and he just said, yeah, set it up with the Patriots, and I'll do it. And um, one day, it was November of 2013, we, we drove from Gillette Stadium after a practice, uh, and he, he was living in downtown Boston at the time, and he drove me to a, to a hotel to drop me off. And, and Ron, obviously, as you know, the traffic in Boston at rush hour is horrible. Well, that's a so, three
3: hour uh, drive right there.
16: <laughs> well, I wish. <laughs> it was the one time I wish we were sitting in bumper to bumper, but it was enough. <laughs> it was enough traffic But I had over an hour with him. And then we just sat in the car for a little while. And I met with him again uh, the following summer. And we, text, we emailed back and forth a couple of times. Um, and he was great. I mean, he was, he was just great. He was, uh, he was cooperative. His stories were funny, they were insightful. Um, I, I just really, really enjoyed my, my time with him. Peyton was a little more difficult to pin down. And I think the only reason we wound up doing it is because the Broncos PR guy had said, you can't let, let him write the book and, and only have Brady talking. And, um, so I went out to Denver and I got,
14: uh,
16: I got Peyton at their facility for not as much time. And, uh, but he would, you know, whenever you get Peyton, yes, someone one question, he can go for seven minutes. So he was very good also. And, um, and I talked to a million people around them, and I think I put together you know a pretty, pretty good look at, at their rivalry, and surprisingly a very good friendship.
2: Gary, I've I read the book, terrific book. I was intrigued by the University of Michigan section and how the Wolverines never quite appreciated what they had in Tom Brady, as you pointed out in the book. He almost transferred. Did you buy the explanations from then Michigan coach Lloyd Carr?
16: You know, Goose, um, when I when I sat with Lloyd Carr, um, I just started off the whole thing by saying. Can you explain to me how a guy who is now considered—and this was before his fourth ring—I right. say—but a guy who is now considered the best, the second best quarterback in NFL history doesn't get on the field until his fourth year in your program, and then for two years because he had registered as a freshman, and then for two years, had a look over his shoulder at Drew Henson—it just doesn't make any sense. And I mean, he walked me through the whole thing, and and all I can tell you is that. Tom did nothing on the practice field that led any of his teammates, or at least the ones I spoke to, to say, this guy is really getting the short end of the stick by not getting on the field. I mean, he apparently did nothing to make himself stand out, which seeing how Tom is now, it's, it's kind of hard to believe. But obviously, once he, got to, um, once he got to the NFL, he just became a tremendously better player. Well, he did play very well uh, the second half of his senior year, but he just never made a convincing case his first three years that that he should be playing. And and four games into his his second year, and this is again after sharing his freshman year, he went to Lloyd Carr's office and told him he was he was leaving. And, and Carr didn't like stand in front of the door and said, "No, you can't go." He <laughs> said he told him he thought it would be a mistake, but that if he wanted to go, he can go and. And Tom left the office, and all Carr said to him was, you know, please sleep on it. But Carr went to his coaching staff and told him that Brady's transferring. And he went back to Schembeckle Hall the next day, and they sat in the same spot in the office that he had the day before. He leaned over the desk to to, um, to Lloyd Carr and said, I'm going to prove to you that I'm a great player, and I'm the best play, best guy to be playing quarterback for this team, and I'm staying. But it then took him another two years to get on the field. So, um, Obviously, this guy was not an overnight sensation.
3: <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, you've heard both of them say at various times, Gary, uh, oh, you know, he's my great friend, you know, uh, Peyton's my friend, or Tom's my friend, oh, we're best friends. Right, right. Uh, very hard to, in my mind, to, to be rivals in the way that they were so many mm-hmm. times, and one guy dominating the rivalry by so much, and them being best friends. What was your conclusion after spending time with both of them about their friendship?
16: Ron, I you know I agree with your premise there, but um, I really do think their friendship is genuine. They they play golf together all the time in, in the off season. Uh, Peyton has come to Boston many times in the off season on business, and he calls Tom, and Tom rounds up his buddies. You know, Dan Copeland, and when Castle played for the team, and they'd go meet Peyton for dinner in Boston. Two years ago, um, uh, Peyton and his wife Ashley were in Los Angeles, and, and Tom and Giselle was living in that really small house in Brentwood, you know? Oh, yeah, like, six, <laughs> like your you house. 60,000 square feet, yeah, right. <laughs> and so Peyton texted <laughs> Tom, and he asked him, you know, the guys in town? And Peyton said, and then Tom said, yeah, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? So, um, you know, Peyton and his wife joined Tom and Giselle for dinner, and um, the guys talked football for a, while, a little while while Giselle's uh, kitchen helper was preparing dinner. And then they sat around the table for three or four hours, uh, just the four of them. And I tell you what, if I was able to stick my tape recorder in the middle of that dinner table that night, I would have had three quarters of my book written. But um, <laughs> I, I would have, I would have loved to have been there. But uh, they, they are friends. I mean, I understand that when guys are rivals, it, it's tough to be friendly. But you know, Magic and Bird, I, you know, from what I've read and seen, um, seem to be pretty good friends. And and I, I genuinely think. That that Tom and and Peyton are friends, and you know I've been getting a lot of people on Twitter today saying, "Oh, you're right about how you know the real rivalry is Eli because he beat Brady twice in the Super Bowl." Well, it's almost like Eli did Peyton's dirty work for him by beating Brady twice. But the real rivalry is between Peyton and and Tom, and Eli's kind of a peripheral part of, of this story.
1: Hey, Gary. That's a signal we've got to go, but thanks so much for joining us, and best of luck with your book.
16: Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Thanks, Gary.
1: Thanks, Gary. That was Gary Myers, Hall of Fame selector and author, Brady vs. Manny, which hits stores this week. And Buy this, it. Well, this is the two-minute drill where I'm asking the questions, and we are running out of time. So, Derek, let's get to it. How do the Colts fix
3: out-of-control beard, Andrew Luck? One more loss, thought to do it. Bad beard, bad vibes. Get rid of it. Find him, Sal, the offensive left tackle, and Sal the barber.
1: Any message for Rex next time he faces Tom
3: Brady? Don't let the Patriots bust into the stadium. <laughs> How about this? Score nine more points and commit fourteen fewer penalties. Goose, as you know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Yes, Greg Abbott wants the Cowboys
2: to sign Tim Tebow. Does that get your vote? Well, if Greg's looking in the wrong direction in the great state of Texas. You got to be looking south. The Texans have them sign Tebow.
3: Sign him to do what? Run Rick Perry's presidential campaign? Oh, I guess not. Chip Kelly remains confident in Sam
2: Bradford. Do you? I have more confidence in Sam Bradford than I do the Philadelphia offensive line. They
3: can't block a three-man rush involving us. <laughs> and I have more confidence in that offensive line than I do in Chip Kelly, which shows you the depth of the problem. <laughs>
2: you to that line, any career advice for DeMarco Murray? Next time you make a decision,
3: money shouldn't be the bottom line. There's a song that describes it all for him. Take the money and run. Jay Cutler, some time off.
1: So
2: how should he spend it? Go to the United Center and watch the Blackhawks. See what a championship team looks like.
3: Well, he could do that, or he could take a Dale Carnegie course. Oakland Raiders, buying or selling? Buying. And Derek Carr, they have a potential franchise quarterback. That's where it all starts on Sundays. Put the kids' college fund on it, boys. The Raiders are back.
2: <laughs>
3: what will it take
2: for Jimmy Graham to
1: find happiness in Seattle?
3: A straight dew breeze for Russell Wilson player swap. That's easy. Start catching some fish in place, fish market. We want to thank Joe Montana, Dwight Clark,
1: and Gary Myers for joining us. Eric Burns for putting up with us, and you for listening to us. If you want to hear this or any podcast, go to our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes. Otherwise, tune into this station at this time next week. We'll look for you then.
6: The following was recorded at a Burger King drive thru at breakfast.
4: Morning, welcome to Burger King. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese, Chris sandwich? Sure can. Right now, they're two for $4, but could you say that word again? Chris sandwich? Oh, where I'm from, we say Chris sandwich.
5: Wow. Where are you from? From behind this counter?
6: Piled high with thick-cut bacon or savory sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted cheese. Get two sandwich breakfast sandwiches for just $4. Only at Burger King. Limited time only. Price and participation vary.
15: If your computer is running slow, go to MyCleanPC.com and get a free computer diagnosis. In minutes, you can activate MyCleanPC software to clean out the junk that may be slowing down your computer. Increase your computer speed today with MyCleanPC.com. That's MyCleanPC.com.
0: Hi, I'm Bruce Fabrizio, inventor of Simple Green, the iconic cleaning formula known around the globe. Try a Simple Green product today, and if you're not 100% satisfied, I'll refund your money. Visit us at SimpleGreen.com. Simple Green.